L.A. County Sheriff's Deputy Claudia Apollinar talks about the impact COVID had on training and preparedness. During my training, it just made it a lot harder because we couldn't do a lot of stuff. We were like kind of being held back from doing a lot of usual stuff that we do for patrol while we're on training with our FTOs. Um, so it was it was kind of hard because it's like, OK, like I haven't been exposed to a lot of to a lot of stuff. And it's like, uh, who knows if I'll be able to because. Like I said, with everything else going on, it, it was just, it just made things a lot harder. Uh, but we still managed a way to find to find things um, to get as much for me to get exposed to a lot of stuff um, before I could get signed off. Um, so eventually, I mean, we did what we could. Um, in June, that's when they started. June that I was still in San Dimas, I was like on, in my king car. So my king car, I'm um, by myself already. My FTO isn't in the car. Welcome. To Game of Crimes. Hola, amigos, amigas, bienvenidos, and feliz Navidad. It is that Christmas time of year, and I'm in an especially festive mood, aren't you, Steve? Isn't this a, just a, the best time of year? It is, it is, and I'm sitting here in t-shirt and shorts in Florida because it's going to be 81 degrees today. How's it up yeah. north there? Yeah, Merry fucking Christmas, pal. <laughs> I love rubbing that Right hands. now it is 47 degrees, but I'm still going to go hit the bike later this afternoon outside. Got to get some rides in before it just gets too frosty for the yeah. boys. Yeah, we're not worried about that here, but go ahead. Enjoy. Yeah, well, so well, so folks, by now you know that I'm Morgan Wright. Um, <laughs> we forgot to introduce ourselves again, and you are? Steve Murphy, but everybody calls me Murph. He is literally my partner in crime on this, and everybody, welcome to episode 26 of Game of Crime. So, hey, before we get started and into the good stuff, just some quick housekeeping. A little bit of uh, Apple review stuff, folks. If you like what you hear, and a lot of you have, and we really appreciate it. So we're not going to beg anymore. We're just going to say it's the right thing to do. Help us tell these kind of stories. And when you hear the story, you'll understand why this one is worth five stars. So no matter what platform you're on, reach out, give us a review, let people know. And remember, tell one, share one. Tell one person about this, share one episode with them. Give them the gift of Game of Crimes this Christmas season, and you'll be doing the world a favor. Right, Steve? Woohoo! Yeah, and we need all the help we can get. I got grandkids I got to pay for now. Got, got grandkids that are going to be going to college. <laughs> ah, hey, and if that doesn't work, just head on over to our website, gameofcrimespodcast.com. And that's where we put the good stuff, too. Like in this episode with uh, Claudia Polinar, we're going to have some video there, stuff that you're going to want to see, pictures. So make sure you head on over there. We've also got merch, uh, our mailing list. So and but we put the pictures, the video, all the good stuff is over on the website. Also, follow us on the social media, at Game of Crimes on Twitter. Game of Crimes podcast on Facebook and at Game of Crimes podcast on the Instagram. But where people really need to be this Christmas season, Murph, is Patreon. Because guess what we're doing for our live stream, for our Narcometer review this month? We are re reviewing the greatest Christmas movie ever, Die Hard. There you Yippee go. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfuckers. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but are you going to offer a little special? We, uh, you know, yes, we are. And specially speaking, because normally that is reserved for our uh, uh, Warden of the Throne and Guardian of the Realm levels, uh, Guardian of the Realm and Warden of the Throne, our top two levels. We are opening it up to everybody on Patreon, uh, even at the Evil is Coming level. So if you're on the Evil is Coming level, 
you're going to be able to hear. We're going to we're going to put out that the poll is available to you guys. Also, the live stream will be available as well. And Murph and I, we're going to have fun with this one because it ain't Christmas until Hans Gruber falls off a Nakatomi Plaza, pal. Yeah, and and the poll you put out this time, uh, um, I don't know. You might have been leading people just a little bit. What do you think? It's called leading the witness, Your Honor. I gave you three <laughs> options: die hard, die hard, or die hard. So either way, die hard's winning this Christmas season for the Narco Media Review. <laughs> but you still have to vote. You still have to vote. Still have to vote, right? But I, I predict an over. I, I predict this is Kim Jong Un type of election. It will be a unanimous, you know, majority for the clear winner, die hard. So hey. Make sure what else, what else you got before I get into the good stuff. You're coughing up another lung. I thought you were over this. No, I just had some oatmeal. <laughs> sorry. Is that it? Just sorry. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I thought you, I thought you were going to say something, interject something, and instead you're just coughing up along. Anyway, folks, if you also want to support a pause for the cause, just head on over to PayPal.com. Use our email, GamerCrimesPodcast at gmail.com or PayPal.me slash Game of Crimes, whatever it makes it easier for you to support the show. But remember, this is a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people. This is one of those episodes. We take ourselves seriously, but... As you know, we never take ourselves serious. There are some serious moments, like there will be today, but we're still going to have a good time with it. I just messed that up. I said we take ourselves seriously, but <laughs> it should have been we take the story seriously, but not ourselves. I'm just so excited to review Die Hard. What can I say? <laughs> you know, we haven't even started drinking yet, so. Uh, day well, drinking. It's five o'clock somewhere, though. Yeah. It, it, hey, look, and I just I have an old whole basement full of Belgian beer, plus the Christmas Goose Island bourbon barrel, you know, stouts, all the different Christmas type we'll talk about later. But Murph, yes. before we get into it, guess what time it is? It's time for Small Town Police Blotters. You're getting slower and slower the more you're in Florida, pal. we got to speed this up. I can see you on the video screen. I'm waiting for you to do something. It's like there's a delay here. Hey, so my buddy David Scott sent this in. It's not small town. It's not a small town, but I guess an airline would be a small town because there's like 200, 300 people on it. Mm -hmm. Many of you may have heard this, and I don't know if you have. So a woman was caught breastfeeding her hairless cat on a Delta oh. flight. Oh. oh <laughs> they and the, whoever the writer was apparently had a little bit too much time. A woman who took a Delta flight recently wasn't kitten around when she whipped out her breasts and started feeding her hairless cat. They were going from Syracuse to Atlanta. When she was caught breastfeeding her feline on the plane, a flight attendant told her repeatedly to stop and put the cat back in its cage. The woman was refused. They sent a message. Uh, actually, the flight attendant, uh, her name is Ainsley Elizabeth, was on board, went to TikTok to explain what went down. She said, this woman had one of those like hairless cats swaddled up in a blanket so it looked like a baby. Her shirt was up and she was trying to get, get the cat to latch and she wouldn't put the cat back in the carrier and the cat was screaming for its life. Well, no oh, shit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what? <laughs> What to say to this one? Uh, I know. Oh my God! Well, we, the funny thing is, it, it wasn't about you know, it was about putting the cat away, not about putting something else away. <laughs> that's kind yeah, of funny. Yeah, not going there. So anyway, hey, but going from the very specific to something that's a little bit harder to define. Guess what, Steve? On January 24th, there was an assault reported at 2:30 p.m. in the 1500 block of Auburn Way North. Two students of an unspecified gender told police they were assaulted in some way on their way home from an unspecified school. 
by an, unsp by an unspecified number of assailants, perhaps sustaining unspecified injuries or none at all. Police didn't say. Well, was there a crime committed? It was unspecified. <laughs> Can't say. You know, they didn't say. <laughs> <laughs> Why even write that crap up? <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, speaking of writing crap up, guess what? At 9.50 a.m., there was a report of a rabid woodchuck on Devonshire Lane. But police got there, and guess what, Steve? Fortunately, it wasn't a rabid woodchuck. It was a porcupine that was not sick. Oh, that's not good. I'd rather, I think I'd rather go up against the damn woodchuck. <laughs> that's, keep them porcupines away from me. But speaking of making corrections like I did earlier, there was a correction uh, from a headline in a small-town newspaper. So, Steve, a headline on an item in the February 5th edition of the Inquirer Bulletin incorrectly stated, Stolen Groceries. It should have read homicide. <laughs> well, you can see how that happened. Ah, you and know, if you can, explain it to me. <laughs> there I was, murdering a kumquat, kumquat you know, when uh, I was approached by the police, you know. Oh, you know. my gosh. I know. God. You know, well, you just, I guess I, whoever printed that, I guess, is probably looking for a new job today, huh? They probably are. But guess what? Now it's time. We're going to finish up. Guess what, Steve? It's time for what year was it? This comes or to us better known as embarrassment. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, look, maybe maybe you'll get whacked as bad as I hate Michigan and they beat Iowa yesterday in the college football or in the Big Ten playoffs. Ugh. Anyway, this comes from the Dexter Messenger out of Dexter, Missouri on June 13th. You have to figure out what year it was. So down in Texas, preparations are underway for the observance next year of the 100th anniversary of Texan independence. But there is one institution in the Lone Star State, which does not need to wait until this date to begin the celebration of its centennial. That is the organization known as the Texas Rangers, which shares a similar body of North American law enforcement officers, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, a reputation and a prestige that is worldwide. Even though they talk about all honor and praises due to the RCMP, the Texas force will not suffer in comparison. The Royal Force was created in 1873, but at that time, the Texas Ranger organization had been doing service for nearly 40 years. It is the oldest force of its kind on the American continent. Steve, quit looking at your challenge coins trying to find a day. <laughs> yeah, cheater. The Texas Rangers. Yeah, cheater. So, Steve, what date was it? Was it June 13th, 1925, June 13th, 1935, or June 13th, 1945? 19? I thought they would have been formed in the 1800s. Well, no, this is the date of the article. Oh, 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 oh. So, 25. 1925. And you would be wrong because the Texas Rangers, the Texas became a state until eight, in 1936. Uh, was the, Actually, 1836 to begin the celebration of its centennial. So, June 13th, 1935. Once again, Murph, you are wrong. You are three for 97, three for 100, whatever it is. You know That's what? Right. One thing I do appreciate, though, Murph, at least you're consistent. <laughs> hey, I'm the leader of the loser. <laughs> yeah, you're the double L, the loser leader. <laughs> How can you have a loser leader? Anyway, hey, let's set, let's set this one up because this one came from our buddy Mel Sosa, who runs the Southern California Gang Conference, who we remunerated with a fine bottle of bourbon, which... Uh, no, we, he, we can't say that on the radio or the podcast or... Well, yeah, we can. Oh, we can? Okay. Yeah. Oh, hell we just yeah. can't drink on here. Yeah, we can. We can drink. We can do anything we want. <laughs> you are such a stuff shirt, man. Loosen up. You're down in Florida now, baby. Get with I it. Am. I All right. Well, hey, this this one, though, remember when we said bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people? 
This is an example of a very bad person, which we refer to as a POS, a piece of shit, yep. doing something very bad to L.A. Sheriff's Deputy Claudia Apollinar and her partner, Emmanuel Perez Perez. So, Steve, I know this is another good one. You know, Mel helped us set up with uh, th- this one's disturbing. It is. Mel is fantastic. Thank you, brother. Um, if we told you how many of these people he's introduced us to, you'd be shocked. And that's why he got a bottle of bourbon. But um, this one, I wasn't real sure when going into it what we were going to get. You know, I didn't know much about Claudia other than our what research we were able to do. <clears throat> Wait till you hear her story. I mean, it, you know already, uh, Morgan, this is one of the most motivational things I've heard after what they went through. And we're not going to do the details because you're getting ready to hear the story. But as you know, there was an ambush. Her attitude towards her assailant is unbelievable. I mean, it's phenomenal. I was, when we finished up the app, the, uh, the interview with her, and this was a, over a four hour interview that Claudia gave us. So this is going to be a great, uh, two episodes for you guys. At the end, I was so proud of her. I've never even met this lady and I'm so proud of what she did and the way she's handling life. And this whole incident, she's very, very young. She's relatively still new into law enforcement, but she already knows what she's going to do. She's going to tell you that at the end. So we won't spoil that either. But I am just so proud of, of what Claudia and her partner accomplished that day yep. by surviving. And, you know, and, and Morgan, you and I know, we hopefully we're going to get the opportunity to meet Claudia this year at the Southern California Gang Conference in 2022. Yeah, Claudia and Alex Collins from our previous episode, episode 25 or 24, you know, Rick Massa was 25. Yeah. So let me tell you what, if she's one thing, she is the definition of persistence in that persistence is what paid off for her saving her life and her partner's life. So Murph, got to ask you one question. Are you ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the game of crimes? Absolutely. Everybody get in, sit down, shut up, and hold on. Let's bring on Claudia. Just a quick programming note before we get into the episode. Uh, Murph and I, we've been trying out different platforms, and one of them that we had been testing seemed to work flawlessly until this time. There were some issues with how it recorded and which microphone it did, even though we had just tested it prior to this, so apologize in advance. This only happened to my track. Don't let it take away from the story. This is a powerful story. I want you to listen to it, but again, apologize in advance for my track. This will not happen in any future episodes, so stay tuned. Here we go. You know, Steve, we're kind of falling into a rut. I mean, it seems like our last few podcasts, everybody we talked to is from California. And you would think that only shit happens in California. It's a target-rich environment out there for what we're (laughs) (laughs) reporting here. (laughs) It is a, and no pun intended when we say target-rich environment, but there is a lot of stuff going on. But this one today, look, we've got this story. We've got another story coming out, another female officer, very similar story. You guys, you guys are going to love this. And so- you think we ought to bring her in and let her tell her own story, Steve, or do you think we might do a better job telling her story for her? Oh, no. No, she's got to tell you herself. I mean, she. wait till you hear this lady's, her attitude about this whole thing, uh, her graciousness. Uh, you are setting a standard here that I'm not used to in law enforcement. Well, and the fact that she's willing to put up with a couple of us, that says speak. So let's bring her onto the podcast, Claudia Apollinar. Did I say that right, Apollinar? Yes, you did. Hi, everyone. Welcome, welcome, Claudia. Claudia, you are. Thank you. You're like famous. Oh, 
<laughs> I, you know what? I was listening. Just I was just telling you before we started the recording here. I was watching on uh, on the internet here one of your interviews that you did on another podcast with the Border Patrol. And then when I when I logged into here, I'm so amped up. I could get up and run circles around the house right now just to calm down. I, watching your shooting, I was watching the video footage from what took place that day. So let's quit wasting time. Let's get into her story, man. It's fantastic. <laughs> Steve runs around the house because if he leaves his house, he gets lost. So he, he's been confined to his own. Uh... <laughs> he's still new to the new can, Hey, can you hear this, Morgan? Let me turn <laughs> it up for you. Okay? Age, IQ, or number of friends. Yes. <laughs> So, Claudia, let, let's, you know, we're having fun right now. We'll get serious in a little bit. But look, the, the real question we always talk to people about is that, look, what the hell possessed you to become a cop? I mean, because for a while, you thought being a librarian was exciting. And obviously, it was really exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell us, what, what prompted you to start this path into this profession we call law enforcement? Well, like you said, like I started working for the county libraries in 2006, right after I graduated high school. And it just kind of worked out for a couple of years because they would like with my school schedule, I was going to college um, and it just worked out. But I mean, working at the libraries, like you'd be surprised Like you do get a lot of excitement, which I was surprised. Like every day was something different. But what I didn't like about well, it, I mean, was what could be exciting and different? Somebody misfiled a book and you had to go <laughs> hunt for it. I mean, what? Oh, no, we had we would have some people coming in there, some characters. I remember this one time we had this guy coming in with the he had like a a, a blanket wrapped around him, kind of like a like a cape, like really long. So he walks in and then he had like a Burger King crown on his head. And he walks in saying he was the king. He was like the king of I forgot what he said. Murph, did you get lost again? Was that you? <laughs> yeah, and she wouldn't show me any respect, you know? I expected her to bow and refer to me as your highness, and, and I got crap, you know? Your holy burger. Well, then so. she slammed me to the ground. I thought, well, this girl doesn't need to be in her library. She needs to be a cop. <laughs> no, so it was, it was like, I mean, it, there was some interesting people that would go in there. Um, but like I said, like, that wasn't for me. Uh, being inside an office, inside a building for for a certain amount of time and repetitive stuff. So I did that um, just so I could get my degree because it, it worked out. So it started from a very young age, like I mentioned, um, from watching the FBI, the Men in Black movie. Now, wait a minute. That, that, so, that's not real cop stuff. That's not real. <laughs> <laughs> What did you think you were going to go out and go after aliens, you know, and run through no, the street? chasing aliens. You know what? Pretty, pretty much. The, if we ever get the opportunity, we need to check Claudia's trunk in her car. Who knows what kind of weapons <laughs> she's got hidden away back there. Some space age stuff. You know, we at the FBI have no humor that we're aware of. One of the great lines that came out of that movie. <laughs> that's right. I think that I think that's why probably I didn't end up going that way. <laughs> so, I mean, it started from there. And like I said, like little by little, um, I grew up in East LA, so here it's uh, in East LA. It's uh, patrolled by LA County deputy sheriffs. So I mean, I would see them all the time. I never had any bad experience. I never got pulled over, nothing, nothing like that. So I would always see them, and it's just something that caught my attention. So later on, when I went to college, uh, my first professor. Well, actually, I ended up going into college with the psychology psychology major. But I took a couple of classes. I'm like, no, I don't I don't really like this. I don't see myself doing this. And I ended up taking my first criminal justice class because there wasn't anything else available. So I'm like, oh, I'll take I'll take a criminal justice class. And that professor 
was a retired LA County deputy sheriff. And I just remember him, like his stories, like how fun he made it seem, like all the fun that he had while he was on patrol. And I'm like, oh, it sounds, it sounds interesting. So after that, like I started taking more criminal justice classes. Uh, more of my professors were in law enforcement. And the same thing, just hearing their stories, um, all the fun that they had out on patrol. So I'm like, oh, this, this sounds fun. It's like every day is something new. And even though it's the same call, it's still going to be different. It's not going to be the same as a previous call. So I started testing. I took my first, uh, I applied for the sheriff's department. I believe it was like in 2010, 2011, just to get a feel of what the test was like. Okay, look, don't make us feel so damn old. In 2010. <laughs> <laughs> Hell, I was almost retired from 38 years in law enforcement. Oh, my God. <laughs> You weren't even born when I started my first job. Oh, my gosh. Hey, also, Claudia, what's, what college did you go to? We forgot to get there. So I went to California State, um, Los Angeles, but I didn't end up graduating from there. I ended up transferring to Cal State Dominguez Hills. Uh, yeah, and that was because at, at that time, like, I wasn't able to change. Once I decided to change my major, I wasn't able to. So the only option was to transfer or get a new major. So I ended up transferring. Um, so yeah, like I said, like I took, I took my first test just to get a feel of the, what the exam was like, but I knew I was like, I needed to finish my degree. Um, I passed the written test and the next step was the oral interview. And they just basically told me like, oh, you just need to get more experience, like go on a jail, a jail tour, uh, ride along. Um, and I never went cause like, like I said, at the same time, I'm like, okay, I want to finish my, get my degree first. And then once I'm done, then reapply. So fast forward a couple years later, I reapplied, um, took the test again, passed it and I failed the physical test. I wasn't able to do any pushups. I wasn't in shape. So was that I because got, you were partying too much in college? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. I didn't have that much. I'm like, I didn't know what to expect for the physical test. So I'm like, no, I'll, I'll reapply. Like, now I'm ready. Well, if there but, were 16 ounce curls, you know, drinking that beer, you could have done that, right? But no. Never. We'd never do anything like that. Oh, no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> I got disqualified. And then from there, they told me, they're like, oh, well, since you applied for security officer, do you want to take that job? I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I didn't know what it was about, but I'm like, well, it'll get it'll get me into the department. So I ended up uh, going to a five-week academy for security officer. And from there, I got assigned to Martin Luther King Hospital in Willowbrook. Tell us a little bit about that area, too. And at some point, you get married. So also let us know at what point you get married. Uh, you know, during this time, because, you know, you got a lot of things going on. So tell us about this Willowbrook area and Martin Luther King. Nice area, you know, tough area, you know, uh, high crime area. What's it like where you're stationed at with this uh, hospital? It's a, well, during the, during the academy, that's when I, I got married. So, and my son was probably like two years old at that time, Uh, a year. No, he was, he was, Two years old. He was two years old. and You don't know how old your son is? I mean. I forget. I forget. It's like I have to go <laughs> back sorry. and I have to count. Mommy loves you, but when's your birthday again? And how are you? But you're 26 and still living at home? Get the hell out of here. <laughs> it's like I have to go back and I have to count. Uh, 
<laughs> so, so I got married during the academy, um, and it was like the day I got pepper sprayed. So yeah, that was pretty oh. fun. Now, was it was it with the was it with the new stuff, the OC, or was it with the, the old stuff? OC. Oh, I got sprayed with OC. That stuff yeah. sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It all sucks. So, it all sucks. Oh, Let me tell you, even the old crap. Now, is your husband? <laughs> did your husband have any relationship to law enforcement? No, no. I'm the first in my family. Like no, no one else in my family. What did he think about that? Did he think that you're crazy? Like, what you doing, babe? <laughs> <laughs> no, like, even, I mean, before, like, when we met, like, he knew, like, I told him what I wanted to go uh, go into. Um, it just took a little bit longer than I thought, but he, he knew. So, I mean, he was a big help, like, very supportive throughout the entire time. Oh, my account- Can you say what his occupation is without telling where he works? He's a truck driver. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, nothing related to law enforcement. Um, well, yeah, he's like probably a- been stopped, hasn't he? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah so he's got a relationship times. to law enforcement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, plenty of times, but it's been by, it's been by the, by C- highway patrol. CHP, so. yeah. Yeah. Those yeah. yeah. damn troopers. So, um, we all, everybody hates the troopers. Uh, don't no. They? No, they I don't. I see them and I get scared. I'm like, oh shit, it's a CHP. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, so yeah, like I said, like I ended up going to Martin Luther King Hospital. It's right next to, it's a high crime area. It's surrounded by, by South LA, um, uh, Compton, Linwood. So it's, it, it's a pretty bad area, um, where I was at there in the hospital. You didn't get that. I mean, once in a while you would get a couple of crazy things going on, but it wasn't too bad there at the hospital. What was the, I mean, I know you had Burger King, uh, you know, the King, King of Burger Rama <laughs> come in, you know, at the, uh, the library. What was, what was one of the couple of the strangest things you had happen at the hospital? They're, they're always at a hospital. There has to be somebody old and naked running around. Oh, yeah. All the time. All the time. Especially um, there at that hospital, there's a psych ward in one of the buildings. So in the psych ward, we had to do a patrol check for every shift. We had to go in through the psych ward. And yeah, like they were always like medicating people. They were putting them on holds. Um they get people running around, even outside the hospital too. I mean, one of the crazy things that I remember from being there, um, we're patrolling, and then we get a call that there's a guy in the lobby who had been shot. So we get there, and the guy got shot in the butt and some other areas. He was like in a car, and he drove to the hospital. And but what they don't know that hospital isn't a trauma hospital. It's just like a basic hospital, and they don't treat any any gunshot victims. So majority of the people end up going there for whatever reason. Uh, another thing that I remember while I was there, uh, we get this, me and one of the deputies were walking and we just see a car speed up to the emergency. It's like, what the hell is going on? And then there's a, a security officer car behind them. They're like, oh, the dude, they just got shot. So I was like, oh, shoot. So we run to them and four guys get out of the car. They're like, Oh, the, the homie in the middle, he got shot in the head. So it's like, I ended up like, cause the, the deputies there knew I wanted to be a deputy. So they put me on the radio and I had to do my first crime broadcast there. So I was like, I was super nervous. I'm like, Oh my God, like, what am I doing? So she, she ended up walking me through like the whole thing, how to put out the radio traffic. So after that, it's like, okay, like I already did this. So all the other radio traffic, like I wasn't afraid of going on the radio and all that stuff after that. So it helped because usually it's like the first time when we have to get on the radio, it's like, what do I say? What do I do? Yeah. Like, we don't know. I think, so, I think I every mean, cop that, goes through that initially. 
Yeah. So, I mean, the good thing, I went through that as a security officer. So once I went to the academy and I had to do all this other stuff and go out to patrol, it was like a piece of cake. So I'm like, okay, I already know what it feels like. So I already experienced it. So, I mean, just being in the hospital, like getting, we, like I said, we didn't have that much going on. But when we did, it's like, okay, get exposed to some of the stuff I would be doing eventually later on. Um, another thing that I would do there a lot was do reports, um, mostly the, the non-workable reports, uh, car thefts, uh, anything say, where there's... When you say non-workable, I know you talked earlier about workable and non-workable. What's the difference between those two in California? So non-workable is like no suspect information. Um, where someone just like, no, 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 like no suspect description, nothing at all. Nothing really to follow up. It's like, nothing, it's hard yes. to take any further action at that point. Yes. And workable. Um, yeah. Like if, if there's any suspect, um, information, which I would do them too. I would do those reports too, but it would be like, a um, the deputy would be there and he would like, he or she, they would be the ones, uh, signing it, um, so signing te- the. Technically you were, you worked for the sheriff's office at that point. Is that correct? Yes, correct. As a security officer, I mean, you weren't quite civilian. a sworn. Yeah, you were civilian, but even mm-hmm. as a civilian, though, you got to carry a gun, didn't you? Yes, yes. For that, it was like, and like I said, it was like a, I mean, a five week academy. So it's like we only had like two, three days at the range. So. Oh well, that makes me feel so much better <laughs> if I get into trouble. You know? <laughs> First thing before you defend me, how many days on the range have you had? Mm-hmm. You know? Was well, it, no, I've had a lot more. I mean, because well, like I said. Yeah, but not then. So uh, was that your oh, first? before that? Yes, that was my first time shooting a gun when I went to the range. What was so. that like? What was that? I mean, you're in L.A. It's the first time shooting a gun, really? Come on. <laughs> you're way behind. <laughs> you're way behind. Man. Yeah, I know. It's like, I mean, it was it was, what was it like? Oh, I, like I said, it's like, I'm like, oh, like, what do I do? It's like, I didn't know. I mean. But I think not knowing how to shoot, like they're able to train you like the way they want you. They train us. So it's like because you don't bring your habits, your bad habits as other people have uh, people that know how to shoot or have been shooting before. So it's like, I didn't know. So I was like brand new. Um, And it made sense. I mean, it wasn't hard. Like it's pretty common sense. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, like I said, like it was it was different. I'm like. I didn't know what to expect, especially like a couple of times in the beginning, like I would jump every time I would shoot or I had the, I would flinch cause I would anticipate the shot. So yeah, I mean, it was, it was fun. Like the time as a security officer, um, I learned a lot and that helped me prepare myself for the Academy, the Sheriff's Academy. Well, you know, one of the, probably the most important things you learned during that time was how to deal with the public. Yes. Cause they can be assholes, can't they? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh, and the no, crazy yeah. people too. That's but you know that's we kind of joke, but that is one of the toughest things law enforcement's had to deal with. You guys call them fifty-one fifty holds, I mm-hmm. think, right? Mental health yes. stuff. Yeah. Mental health is a huge problem for law enforcement right now because most cops they're not trained mental health professionals. I mean, right. mm-hmm. we know how to make reports, we know how to make arrests, but dealing with somebody, I mean, that that's that's that is probably one of the. It's easy. Somebody comes in with a gunshot or been in a fight. That's easy mm-hmm. to take a report, but somebody who might be mentally ill or going is suicidal and stuff. Those are, you know, th- those are things that you deal with. Believe it or not, I think you pr- probably found out too. You deal with that far more often than people think oh, yeah. you do during a regular shift. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like I said, there we had the psych ward. Um, and I mean, there's crazy people walking around throughout the hospital every single day. 
like every day we had people trying to jump off one of the one of the buildings the structures um i mean it's every day and that like i said like being exposed to that early on before i even went on to being a deputy helped out a lot cuz it's like you get to know how to talk to them how to what you need to do um and like i never had any issues like i mean for the most part just learn how to talk to them and they'll comply so it's like i we never i never got into force um none of that stuff while i was there and patrolling the psych wards i mean we'd see the nurses talking to them whoever was there on a hold and it just made it a lot easier so you did that for three years so what finally prompted you after three years to say now's the time for me to apply was you were you just tired of uh, being at the hospital or was it where you feel like hey you know what did you what did you do in the intervening time to get yourself ready to apply again so during that time um i mean learn as much as i could from the other deputies that were there and at the same time i started working out Cause I'm like, okay, I already got disqualified once for not being in shape. So I ended up getting the personal trainer. Um, and I still like, I would, st- I still go to, well, not right now, but I would still go to her up to this day, like, and just continue to work out. Um, so with her, she, she has like a group of like 10 to 15 people and it's like circuit training where we do push-ups. It's a little bit of everything. So I did that for about a year, a year before I actually applied, um, reapplied again, because I had to make sure I could do my 20 push-ups, run a mile and a half in like 13, 14 minutes or less, and do like 30, I forgot how many it is, but like 30 sit-ups or whatever it is for the physical test. And just to make sure I was in shape for the academy, because I'm like, it's not just the physical test that I have to pass, but it's for the academy too. So I just prepared myself as much as I could. And then once I knew I was ready, that's when I reapplied again. And from there I got, it took about almost a year. I want to say like 11 months before I got called. uh, So you mean from the time you applied till the time they got back to you was like 11 months? Well, for, for me to start the academy, okay, like do do all the tests. I had to redo all the tests, like the psych test, the polygraph, um, the medical, all that. I had to re I had to redo it because it had been a, a while since I did it for the for the SO um, hey, let's, academy. Let, let's talk about that for a second because uh, you know back back in our day nobody did polygraphs. You know uh, to start off, Thank but now goodness. that's kind of a. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could, well, I could pass one now because I'd be truthful, but I think what I told him I did might not, <laughs> he stayed the hell away from yeah, us. He tells the truth, um, but we still don't want him. <laughs> so when you did your first polygraph, see, what's always interesting, a lot of people don't understand what the purpose of a polygraph is. But, you know, when they when they brought you in, what things did they cover with you on your polygraph? Uh, so you fill out a form. It's a form, like, with questions, and then they, they ask you the questions of whether you answered yes or no, or like whatever it is that you answered, they ask you that question sometimes like two, three times in a different way, just to see if you're, if you say something else. Um, I mean, I was nervous because it's like, oh, it's a polygraph. Like, I'm like, what if I don't pass, even though I know I haven't done anything, but it's still just nervous, like, like nerve wracking, having all these wires on you. And, but it's basically like those questions that they ask you two, three times um, and in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing they always look for on a polygraph is not what you've done, but are you truthful about mm-hmm. what you've done? Because if you lie then, you'll lie later. Yes. 
If your integrity's in question, if your integrity's in question, you're not going to be able to testify in court. Yeah, they call that giglio now. So we'll, we'll talk about that later. But, you know, the other thing, too, people, you know, when we used to do them is people say, but I'm so nervous. Don't worry. You know, if, if you've got nothing to hide, mm -hmm. you know, and over time, when, when people hear the questions, they realize, no, I'm being truthful. You watch their nervousness go down. Mm -hmm. It's the people who continue to lie and have to prevaricate, which, Steve, that means lie. That's just another way of saying the word lie. Who are you talking to? You talking to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, big words. Had two more than two syllables. Um, but, you know, the, the people who you continue to lie and stuff, their nervousness goes, goes up because that's creating, you know, anxiety. So um, what, was the, what was the biggest thing you were worried about on the polygraph, the question they asked you? I mean, because they're obviously asking you, have you committed felonies? You know, have you done certain things? Was, was there one area of the polygraph that you were worried about, you know, being a, this is like a true confessions kid here. who would stayed out partying all the time? Yeah, you know, hey. <laughs> No, not really. I mean, like all the questions, it's like, I knew they were all like, no for, yeah, most of them. It's like, have you, have you ever stolen from your employer? Have you ever um, done any drugs? Have you ever hung out with people that were doing drug, drugs and stuff? So it's like, well, like, yeah, I, I was mean, at the like, psych ward and they were doing phenobarbital. They were doing Xanax. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, I, like, I wasn't worried about it um, at all. It's just like, just having all these things. And then the, 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 investigator that I had asking the questions, he was pretty cool, pretty relaxed. He's like, no, just relax. I mean, the thing that got me, what he told me at the end, I was like, what? Like what I found out, he told me, he's like, hey, like you should probably go get your heart checked because there was like something that popped up about like my heart. So I'm like, oh man, like am I, is something wrong with me? So after that, like <laughs> I ended up scheduling an appointment with my doctor. He's like, hey, like the polygraph, the, the guy that did the polygraph, he told me, um, he noticed like, uh, I forgot what he called it, but there was like something with my heartbeat. So like an arrhythmia or a some, it was something like that. I forgot what it was, what he told me. So they ended up doing uh, a test at the, at the, the doctor, um, scheduled a test, but it's like, no, everything came back fine. So I'm like, okay, I'm good. But yeah, when he told me that I was like, wait a minute, like I was expecting, I'm like, oh, you didn't pass or something else, but. Dang. See, I didn't but, pass a polygraph once because I had no heartbeat. They said, you got no fucking heart. I said, of course not. I was a trooper, man. We wrote everybody tickets. <laughs> Damn troopers. I, I think I already said that, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, you, But that's okay. You tend to repeat yourself because you forgot what you said. But uh, Have I no, said just bite me today? I'll probably say that several times, Claudia. Sorry. Not directed towards you. Some of my buddies that came out of the agency and some of the other places like that, one of the tricks that the polygraphers would do, and this is the thing that kind of pissed me off, they would play tricks with you. You'd go through there, you'd answer your questions, you know, truthfully, and they'd come out and they'd want to mess with you and they go, we got some problems with some of your questions, uh, you know, on the polygraph. Well, like what? Well, why don't you tell us? No, let's not play this game. You tell me what question it is you had a problem with and I'll tell you what the answer is. And they'd go back and forth because they were there messing with you. They're trying to see if you might change your answers because you know sometimes they found this out with people who are committing espionage and stuff they were trained on how to mm -hmm. properly control their responses you know and and pass the in a sense pass the polygraph or at least pass that question so that's what i'm saying but at least he didn't mess with you right it was just more no, like hey, no. you, know, you passed you did fine so mm -hmm. you go to the doctor you find out you do have a heart you know which means you probably shouldn't <laughs> be in law enforcement but you do have a heart uh, and it's working fine so what happens next with you so from there, I just take on all the other tests, all the other requirements for, for the academy. And I start the academy in June of 20, 2018. So start the academy and everything. Um, everything well, let's, that I, let's, let's be clear about something. You start your academy the first time. The first time. <laughs> the first time. And I'm telling you folks, if you want a lesson in persistence... <laughs> 
This is somebody, this is your third time applying for the sheriff's office. Now we're talking about your first academy. So let's talk about, I mean, you really wanted this job. Yes, yes. And so how long is your academy? It's uh, 22 weeks. Okay. When I went through it, it was 22 weeks. Uh, It changes, like, but during that time it was 22. Um, And yeah, I start the academy, everything's going fine. Then like a month into it, I get injured. So I pull my my hamstring and my groin, and I didn't say anything. Um, I'm like, okay, I could I could do this. <laughs> like I didn't I wasn't gonna mention anything to my to my drill instructors because I'm like I know they're gonna send me to go get checked out with the county doctor, and then I won't be able to participate in the PT. And if I don't participate, if I get seven failures, I'll be disqualified. So I didn't say anything um, until it got like it got really bad eventually from all the running and all the workout and everything. See, now as a guy, I'm sitting here going, how does a woman pull a groin muscle? Normally you think guys pull groin muscle. So what what happened? What were you doing that led you to reckon yourself like that? Because the other thing you did is you, you covered it up, didn't you, deputy? I mean, you, you covered up <laughs> vital information necessary for the sheriff's office to fulfill their obligations to the community. You covered up an injury. <laughs> Yes, because I'm like, okay, like, I've already applied so many times. I'm like, for me to get kicked out because of this, like, it's not going to happen. Um, so I don't remember the exact moment, but I want to say it was, like, during the time um, our track where we would do our, our circuits was a dirt, like, a dirt little, a dirt track, and it had holes everywhere. Um, and I want to say maybe that day when it happened, I didn't, get enough time to, we didn't get enough time to stretch out because there was times where we would take forever dressing up and our instructors would just take us just straight into the into the workout so after what like from doing a sprint that's where I felt like I pulled something but I'm like oh okay like whatever I didn't think much of it until eventually like that's when I started feeling it where I couldn't even get up like when every time I would have to get up from my seat and walk it would take me like a couple of minutes for me to actually start walking good again because I, I was limping. Like I was limping, but I would try to hide it. And like I said, like it just got really bad where in week 12, no, it was, well, actually it was before that because my drill instructor saw I was having a hard time with the exercises. She's like, Apollo, what's wrong? I'm like, oh man, like I had to tell her because she, she, like, she could tell. So I told her, I'm like, I think I pulled my, my hamstring. So they stopped me that day from working out. They sent me to the doctor and yeah, they told me, it's like, oh, you pulled your hamstring and you're groin. Um, you're not going to be able to work out. No running, no carrying anything heavy. And eventually I ended up getting my seven uh, PT failures and I got separated in week 12 of the academy a little bit more than halfway. That had to suck. You're not kidding. It did. <laughs> It did. But, you know, it might have not happened had you not covered up the fact that you were injured, deputy. Had you not <laughs> well, withheld mean, like, vital information. <laughs> well, either way, I mean, like, they were going to they were gonna hold me back, like, from working out, like, regardless. Yeah. But I'm like, well, at least I got a little bit more into the academy. And I know what to expect. So I'm like, the second time around, I'm like, I went, I did so much already. So it's like, okay, like, the second time around, it won't be a surprise. Now, did um, they keep you on uh, because you were in, were you an employee of the sheriff's office at that point? I went back. So when I got separated, that was September of 2018. I went back to being a security officer um, for a couple of months. Uh, I was still working. I just couldn't um, 
could, how long did it take you to recover from that and get back to the Academy? Uh, so that, that happened September, September, 2018, uh, took me about three months for me to recover, not doing any exercises, nothing at all. Um, so after the three months, once I felt like I didn't have any pain, my groin, my hamstring were fine. Uh, I started working out for another, another month or so. Um, and then that's when I told him, cause like, once you're ready, just let us know and we'll put you in the next Academy. Uh, so once I knew I'm like, okay, my body is healed. I should be fine now. I worked out, so I'm not out of shape when I start again. And I started my second Academy in February of 2020. So we've got three times you've applied your second Academy. I mean, you got to be going into this going, okay, please God, just whatever. Just let me get through this Academy. (laughs) Just yes. let me get through this. Yes. Or, yeah. show, me, well, no, or show me what job I'm supposed to have, because this one doesn't seem to be working out too good. Maybe a librarian. I, 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 doubtful you'd pull a groin being a librarian. Yes. No, it wasn't 2020. It was uh, February 2019. You see, I have my years messed up. It's like right now that I'm not working, I don't even know what day it is anymore. Nah, that's all right. so. well, and now your son's probably 18. You've missed him growing up for the last. You know? uh, <laughs> probably, How are you again? Probably. I'm 33. No, and no, I'm talking about your son. I go, how old are you again? <laughs> See, you knew how old you are. You just don't give a shit yeah. about anybody else. You, husband, whatever. You know, I don't. You just come tell me when your birthday is. I don't want to. I don't. I can't remember. Hey, shit. Claudia, f- feel free to plagiarize what I say. Bite me, Morgan. You can. You can tell him that at any time. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so now we've established, Deputy. After covering up your injuries, uh, you have now you have now gone through. You you stuck back in. So, what's it like repeating that first twelve weeks? Was that I mean, did it bore you or did you actually learn something, some additional stuff during that 12 weeks till you were at a place to where you would have been had you not been injured? I mean, it made it a lot easier the second time around. It's like, okay, I already know what's coming. I know what to expect from the testing, um, what we're going to do. It was different staff. So obviously, like different staff, they do things differently. But it was, I mean, I was still learning new stuff from the from the first one to the second one. It's like, oh, I don't remember that. But it's like something new. And, um, like I said, it made it a lot easier because I had already done most of the testing in my first academy, like almost everything was done. Um, so second time around, it's like, okay, like, I don't want to say a piece of cake because it was so hard, but it it was just a lot easier. How many people were in your academy class the second time? Uh, so we started with 97, I believe, and graduated with. 68. Wow. So what what was the main reason? Yeah. What was the main reason? Injuries? Injuries. Yeah. Well, no wonder it's that dirt fucking track (laughs) with the holes in it. And they wonder why people are being injured. Oh no, but now they fixed it. Now it's like a nice little a little track. It's oh, all this like is the Claudia Apollonia, so. uh, you know, memorial track. Right here's where Claudia fell and pulled her hamstring. Well, yeah, that, that's where like most of the people get injured. A lot of the people, the recruits were getting injured on that track, uh, so they eventually ended up fixing it because we're losing so many people. Well, Murph, we in our business we call that a clue, right? So after like three academy classes where you got people dropping out, same place, same location. Hmm. Let's have a meeting. Maybe we ought to fix the track. Yeah. What's the common denominator here? Oh, the track. Oh, yeah, yeah. The track. Yeah. So but how often would they run an academy class at the sheriff's office? So up north, there's a, an academy up north in Santa Clarita. There's usually like a class up there. And then at Biscalo Center, which was where I was at, there was 
anywhere from like three classes at a time. Um, so you guys were hiring, I mean, assuming oh, yes. that's, so you guys were hiring 300 people at a time. Yes. During that time, yes. How many deputies are there at LASO? Um, I want to say it's about 8,000, around 8,000. Wow. That's, that's, that sure. sounds about right, because you guys are roughly comparable, not quite, but LAPD is just a little bit bigger, aren't they? Yes, yes, they have they have more. Um, Yeah, and over here, it's, we're, we're like about 8,000-something, I want to say. Uh, so they were, during that time, there was like classes back-to-back, um, like four classes at a time. And then after all the defunding, that's when they cut it. Like, there wasn't any classes going on for a while. And right now, they're starting to start up again. So right now, there's probably like two or three classes going on, I think. So when when you went through the academy, what was the best part about, what, what did you like best about going through the academy, e- even the second time? Oh, man, it was it was fun. Like, I mean, just every day was like something, it was like something funny, like with one of the recruits that we're always like, I mean, the bond from the second class compared to the first one, the first one, I didn't really feel a bond with anyone, um, even though I was there for 12 weeks. Uh, everyone was just kind of like they're doing their own thing, just wanting to graduate. The second time around, like, I mean, I still talked to pretty much everyone in the class. And we were a lot closer. We were a mess, but we were a lot closer. <laughs> oh, I'd say I mean, I'd say you're pretty well known in the in the sheriff's office now. After the incident we're going to talk about here in a little while, huh? Yeah. No, I mean, like we were such a mess that we didn't even have a class motto uh, because someone we still don't know to this day, no one has confessed to who actually wrote one of the models, which was "Si se puede." <laughs> that was. Someone submitted that and the instructors got mad. So it's like, oh, you guys aren't having a motto at all. (laughs) And for our non-Spanish speakers out there, translate for us, please. Yes, we can. Si se puede is yes, we can. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that kind of like after after my incident, that kind of became our unofficial official motto. What's wrong with that? I mean, you know, were they telling you you couldn't do something? You guys were being smart asses and saying, yes, we can. I think so. I think so. Si and like I said, like, si se puede. <laughs> well, the other thing too, somebody might have said, look, that I know Obama used that as one of his campaign slogans, you know, yes, we can. And that they translated it into Spanish. But, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, yes, we can. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's that's a positive. Do you want know to saying that's very positive. Oh, that's positive, man. Yeah. It's just like, so yeah. it's what, what what's the alternative? We might be able to. No, I don't think we can. No. <laughs> yeah. You know, my class motto was not our problem. You know, call the, call the police department. No. <laughs> So, uh, so you had the unofficial class motto. So, but when you got, when you, so, but what was the toughest, what's, what's the thing you did not like about the academy? Uh, I think what, um, the hardest part where I did have to retest was the shooting, of course. So I didn't, um, I didn't pass the first, uh, shooting when we had the shooting test. Um, I didn't pass one of the tests. So I had to go back an additional week. Um, for like three days, we had to just go up there and practice. And then we had a test on the fourth day. So I'm like, oh, like, like, I can't be separated for this. Like, I just thought I was like, so many things going on at the time. I mean, thankfully, I ended up passing. Um, another thing I was worried about was the wall, the six foot wall, where I mean, like, I wasn't like one of the females that was like in the best shape I wasn't. But I mean, I could still run, do everything else. But the wall. I couldn't do the wall and I just had such a hard time like from the very first time that we started practicing 
And that was like going through my head the entire time. I'm like, oh, this wall can't stop. Like, I don't want this wall to stop me. Like, I I did all this, and then for not for me not to be able to jump the wall. So I, I would go like the academy where I went, like it's like five minutes away from my house. So on the weekends, um, I would go and practice jumping the wall to see what technique I could use. Um so yeah, that's what I did. Like every every weekend, like almost every weekend I was going up until like week 20. That's when we tested, when we had the obstacle um test. And I mean, thankfully that day. <laughs> I gave it all I had and I ended up passing. I was like, what? Like, I was surprised, but it was just something where throughout the entire time, I'm like, I could be kicked out of the academy again for for, for the wall, for not being able to do this. So how tall are you there, Claudia? 5'5". Five, five. So that was so a six-foot wall. And, you know, you realize you got to grab up, you got to reach it, you know, go over it. So it's a little bit tougher for folks who are 5'5". Five, five. Um so what was your what was your winning technique? What did you finally figure out to say this is going to get me over the wall? So I ended up getting shoes for the wall, like the shoes that I had. They were kind of slippery, so I couldn't get a good grip. Um, whenever I tried to, so I could throw my leg over. So I ended up getting some shoes that had a little bit more grip, uh, and that helped me. Like that helped along with I think the one that I the technique that I used was a chicken wing, jump up, put my my arm over it, and then just flip over. Uh, but it was that, like, just finding the technique and the right shoes. Because I said, like, the other shoes, they didn't really, they weren't working for me. Like, my feet. Did you get those shoes that have the steel spikes on them? Is it, you could dig them in the wall? Like, you know, is that what you're talking about here? <laughs> I wanted to. <laughs> or some with, like, glue on the, on the heel. Yeah, well, so let's recap up until this point. You've applied once. They told you, go get more experience. So you went to the hospital. Then you applied twice. Um, and uh, you were disqualified on that one, right, for the physical fitness. So you worked out some more. You continued working. Then you applied a third time. You got hired. You went through the academy the first time. You covered up an injury, which was should have been told to the instructors. But we're, we're <laughs> going to just leave that for now. You had to go back. You did the second one. And then you had a problem with the wall, and which you worked on. And then you had to go back and repeat basically a week of firearms training to take the fire. So you've done all of this. So you, let's let's cut to the chase. Did you did you ever graduate fully? <laughs> eventually, eventually, I did in July 2019. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to remember, she must be the best trained officer out there because she didn't do a 22 yeah, week academy. Thirty seven thousand weeks of training she had under 30, her belt. Thirty four weeks in the academy plus the extra five. Holy cow! You ought to run the academy. <laughs> by this time, I was like, I'm an expert by now. But yeah, I mean, like I ended up graduating July 2019 and then more training, another six weeks of training. Well, that's before we get into that training, because I, I, you know, Steve and I do our research on you and stuff. And so we got to see the actual uh, sheriff. Uh, is it Sheriff Villanueva? Yes. OK, yeah. Um, you got to go up and have your standard, you know, meet and greet. You had the white gloves on, too. I always thought that was cool. You got white gloves on. You go up there and, you know, and they, they announce your name and you get to take your quick, you know, picture with the sheriff but so what's graduation day like i mean you, you I mean it's tell us just about the sh the relief because it's got to be like fuck yes <laughs> it was it was a relief but it was like i was so nervous that day it's like oh my god like it's finally happening like it just hit me like i'm finally gonna graduate after all of this and just i just remember being backstage it's like my hands were sweating I'm like, fuck, I don't think I could do this. Like, I, I like I was just so nervous to go to walk out. And 
while we're lining up and everything, it wasn't until afterwards where it's like, oh, you guys are dismissed. Well, it's like, oh, like, like I did it. Like it's over. Like no more, no more academies. Well, that's that's stuff. what you think. Hang on, folks. So but we know you're bad at counting, but from the first time that you applied, you know, when you didn't have enough experience till you finally made it through, how many years was that? Uh almost like ten. Almost like ten years. Did you not get the memo that maybe you weren't if this wasn't for you? You're like, no, god damn it. I'm doing this. I'm working the wall. I'm working this. So from the time you first applied getting out of college till the time you finally got in, right? It's about 10 years. Oh, no, no. By the time I got out of the college, um, it was six years. Six years? Still, that's six, a long That's yeah. a long time. Yeah. What, what gave you the will to just continue? I mean, why didn't you just throw in the towel and say, hey, ring the bell. I'm done. You know, why didn't you just quit? Because it's, that's some, it's something that I've always wanted. And it's like, I'm not, I wasn't going to give up so easily. So it's like, this is what I've always wanted to do. And I don't see myself doing any, anything else besides this. Um, and it's like, okay, like, I know I don't want to go work in a library. I don't want to be a teacher. I don't want to be a nurse. I don't want to be none of that stuff. Like, I don't, I never saw myself doing that. That never caught my attention. And like I said, like, this is something I always want. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a deputy because I wanted to work in the community I grew up in. And that's what I always looked forward to. Wow, man, just just the persistence alone to get you there. I mean, that's going to I think that is going to be an underlying thing. And that's going to serve you well, obviously, a little bit later when we start talking about the shooting. So but you graduate. So tell us now, you know, with everybody and especially you're a large county, there are so many places you can go to. So what's the process once you graduate of finding out? Well, first of all, not everybody gets to go to the road right away. I mean, there's usually some exceptions, right? But one of the first things you have to do is you got to go work the jail, right? Yes, correct. So once you graduate, um, you get sent to a, another six-week, uh, they call it jail lobs, um, like mini academy. And there they pretty much just teach you everything that you need for to work custody. Um, so... You either go to custody or you go to court after graduation, but most people get sent to to custody. Why is that? Uh, it's just rare whenever someone, unless they're like they really need people at at uh, court, they'll send them there. But for the most part, you just everyone goes straight to custody because that's where they need most of most of the people. Um, like I said, everyone from my class, we all got sent to a custody facility. After the six weeks, I was assigned to the Century Regional Facility Center, which is a women's jail in Linwood, which is also in the same area that I worked at where the hospital is at. So I'm like, oh, okay, like I already know the area. So it wasn't too bad. Um, I go there. I have to be on training, like I'm on training for like three months. Uh, After those three months, I get signed off training. I'm there for an extra month. And during that time, I was like, I I didn't like custody. Like the first week I got there, I'm like, no, this isn't for me. Like, it's like another like working the library, but with different different people, where it's like a an eight. Like you're there from a certain time to a certain time. Like it's repetitive. Same thing every day. You do your roll call, pill call. You like, I didn't like it. Like I didn't like the fact that it was the same thing every day. And it's like, no, I didn't like. I didn't sign up. I didn't go through all this to be in custody. Like I want my goal was to go out to patrol like as soon as I could. And I saw the opportunity. Um, during that time, we had to pick six stations. 
that we wanted to go out to. And I put my stations, like I said, like I always wanted to come back to East LA. That was my number one station. Um, but the list is a lot longer. It, depending what station you pick, the list could be from, I don't know, you could be from the 25th person to 130, 150, depending what, what stations you put. Uh, so at the time, hearing from other people, Transit Services Bureau, TSB, is one of the fastest stations that get people out to patrol a lot faster. So I'm like, uh, you know what, screw it. I'm going to put TSB, even though I don't know where I'll end up training, because uh, you really don't know. They could send you to train any any at the other stations um, in the county. So tell so, us, tell us when you say TSB, I mean, kind of transportation gives away. Murph, we call that a clue, too. So it kind of tells you what uh, transportation. So tell us, what, what, what are all the things that TSB, Transportation Service Bureau, uh, encompasses? So for TSB, they're in charge of the, the trains, the metro trains, and the buses. Uh, that run throughout the county. Uh, so any buses that p- pass through the county area, um, the trains, they're in charge of those. They get any calls, they're the ones that respond. Uh, before, I used to be uh, throughout the entire entire city, uh, the whole county, but then they split it up. So now APD has the pieces that run through the, the city. They're in charge of that. And we're in charge of all the, the other counties areas. Would you actually have deputies on trains and riding or was everybody uh, either on foot or in vehicle or would you have actually have people stationed on buses and trains? No, they they do ride them. Uh, When I got there, we didn't do that because it was during COVID. So they had stopped doing that. But before, and I think they started, I'm not sure if they started again, but they would ride the buses. Um, They would ride the bus and then they would also ride the trains from whatever station to another station. But they do they do that. So it's a high visibility type thing, right? Yes, yes. And then also on the platforms, like you have to do your patrol check on the platforms, um, walk up, walk, walk the platform, come back, and pretty much it. That's what that's what they do. When before you go too too much farther down this, when you applied for TSB, were you allowed to apply for other positions as well? Yes, I I put uh, some of my stations that I put, like I said, was East LA. I believe I put South LA, um, Compton. I forgot. I forgot the other two that I uh, that I picked, but I picked a total of six. So I'm like, whichever one gets me, gets me out quick. Like I'll be good. Um, and like I said, TSB, they're the ones that pull the fastest. Um, and I was like, I was like the number one on on, on the list for them. Um, so I I got out. I did four months in jail, and I came out to patrol in. Well, I did in January of 2020. See, only only a deputy would say I did four months in jail and not even flinch about that. I did four months on the inside before I got forgot. You know, I could do four months standing on my head. You know, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so you, you were in jail for four months, is what you were saying? Yeah, you know, probably yes. from covering up your injuries from prior. They, you know, um, the TSB. You said you were number one on the list. Why were you number one on the list? Did they do it by seniority? Did they do it by class rank? Or you know, how do you become number one on a list? So it's by seniority whenever you start, um, whenever you, you like, you're, I believe it's, they go by graduation whenever you graduate or when you start the, no, I think it's when you start the academy, the, the, the academy for the sheriffs, um, that's when the start date, they go by that, I believe. And then if there's like several people in the same class, then I believe they go by county seniority. So if you've been in the county longer, um, then by that, and it's like, they, they have a system of which how 
what order you're placed in, but usually it's by seniority. Wow. If they had, if they'd gone back to the first time you took the test, you'd have like 13 year seniority right there. Oh, yeah. you, would have been a, you would have been a four-star oh, general. Yes. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's got so much seniority. She outranks everybody in her whole section. Here. That's yeah. it. That's it. No, and my, my employee numbers are really low. So it's like, Oh, like they're like from 2006, my, my County employee numbers. So it's like, some, they're like, Oh, you've been on for this long. I'm like, no, I only have like two years on. Well, so if you were number one on the list, um, does that mean then that there weren't a lot of people applying for TSB or because there were a lot of people applying, but because you lived in the county long, you know, you had the, you worked for the county, obviously for a while. Is that what propelled you to the top of the list? Yes. I mean, and there was other classmates from my class. There was other classmates that put TSB also, and they were just like right below me. Um, but like I said, like, cause I had more, I had already been with the county. Uh, so that's why I was a little bit higher than, than the rest of them. And I mean, usually the people that put TSB, it's like the people that just graduate the academy because it's they're the ones that pick you up the like the fastest. Well, it's, it's like the old Ringo Starr song. It says, if you want to sing the blues, you got to pay your dues. And, you know, it don't come easy. I mean, to, to, to get into prime or cushy slots, you guys got to pay your dues, right? You got to work yes. the jail. You got to work some of the other mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know TSB was your was where you ended up going. But what where did you want to go? I mean, when you started getting on and you're now Claudia Apollinar. Um, and you are now number one on the list, but you go, but what did you, what did you want to end up doing inside the sheriff's office? Where did you see your career going with them? At the time, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I'm like, I don't know if I wanted to be canine, a detective. Like I had no idea. I'm like, right now it's like, at that time, my goal was just to get patrol trained, like go out to patrol, get patrol trained, and then just take it from there. Um, now after, you know, you wanted to get on the street. Yes. Yes. Like at that time, it's like I had to go out to the streets, get experience as much as I could before I start seeing into what I want to see what I want to do later on, like down the road. Um, After all this stuff, like I'll I'll mention that later on. It's like now I know what I want to do. But at that time, it was just like go out to patrol again. So you get assigned. So what's it? So now you've gone. 12 weeks the first time, 22 weeks the second time. Uh, so we're at 34 weeks, six weeks of jail ops. That's 40 weeks. Now you've got to actually, we had another 41 weeks because you recycled on the, on the uh, firearms training. So you're at 41 weeks. I mean, you've got more time <laughs> in an academy. <laughs> She's a well-trained you know, fighting you are machine. Well, you are one well-oiled <laughs> fighting machine. But now, now that you get assigned there, now you've got to go back into training again because you got to be field trained, right? So tell us through weeks. that process. Another three weeks? <laughs> Another three weeks. Oh, okay. So we're up to 44 weeks. I mean, you're going to be at a year and never have actually seen the fucking street. It's like, ah, <laughs> I've been on this job 17 years. I've only been on the street one week. I've been in training the other, you know, the whole time. So, <laughs> so you're, you're th- how, does your tra- how does your field training go for TSB? So it's it's the same for everyone else. I come out in January of 2020, go back to the academy, another three week academy for patrol school. Shit, you must have been you must have been old friends with everybody by then. Hey, it's Claudia. She's hey, back again back. for the fourth time. <laughs> so actually, like my my instructors, my drill instructors for the security officer academy, they're the ones that run the patrol school. Hmm. So they, oh, they I forgot to add the five weeks on for that Murph too. So that's, oh, yes. that's so yes. that's another. So yeah, you're at fifth. You're you're, you're <laughs> close to fifty weeks of training before you even set foot as a 
as a full You know, I went through the Western State Police Academy. I went through the DEA Academy. I went through the H Advanced Agent Academy, in-services. If I combined all those from 38 years, I still wouldn't reach the number that you went through. <laughs> <laughs> you like training. Okay, we've got that uh, part I, figured I out. I do. I mean, it, it, it helped me when I needed it the most. It helped. It yeah. kicked in, so I can't complain. So, yeah, I go out, do my three weeks in patrol school. Um Second week into the patrol school, that's where I find out. Because anyone that goes to TSB, we don't know where we're going to train, where we're going to get trained until we actually go to patrol school. So second week in, uh, that's when they tell me like, oh, you're you're sent to Sandima Station. I'm like, Sandima? I was expecting to go to somewhere like here, like uh, Centuries area, Linwood, Compton. I'm like, I know that area. I'm like, Sandimas? I don't know anything about Sandimas, but Ranging Waters. I'm like, what the hell is out in San Dimas? I'm like, I didn't know the streets. I've never really been out there. It's a further station um, out east that we have in the county. So I'm like, okay, well, I mean, it is what it is. And I mean, good thing I'm really good with directions. I know my directions. I know how to read a map. So that helped out a lot. You just can't count for shit, but you can read I can't a map. Count. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pretty much so i'm like i'm like all right well let's do this um uh, i enjoy training i mean it was it was fun like every day was like something different it's like i would take my worst day in patrol over my best day in custody so again i'm like i told myself i'm like i'm not gonna roll it up i'm not gonna end up back in custody because i didn't want to be in custody so i'm like i have to get through these six months and i mean after the six months is over i'll I'll have the blessing, be out on my own, and just go from there. So, yeah, I did my six months in San Dimas, and then I... Well, you can't... No, sorry, you can't. Just gloss over said I did my six months in San Dimas. So let's walk back a little bit here, Claudia, because there's got to be something that's went on. So you've got three weeks, have you said, of, of training to prepare for the FTO program. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Once you get into the FTO program, tell us how that works. So tell us where you're living at and where San Dimas is and how long of a trek that is for you each day. So I'm still living living in East LA and then going to San Dimas. It's about 25 miles. Um, I mean, I was assigned, I was on PM shift. So I wouldn't get the traffic. I would leave right before traffic would start. Um, I would start my shift like at 1 PM and then later on it went out to 3 PM. But I was I would always get there like early by 10, by 11 to change out, get the cars ready before my FTO got there. Um, so, I mean, I never really had that much traffic going that way. And then coming back to it, it was probably like 25, 30 minutes um, every time. So and you're then, driving 50 miles a day. Pretty much. Yeah. So there a couple have- hours early. Is that did somebody tell you to do that or you were just that eager to get going? No, it's what it's what they tell us. Like we have to be there before, get the car ready, and then too, it's like we don't have that many cars, so sometimes we're fighting for cars. So I'm like, I'd rather get there earlier, get a car, and not be later on like trying to have a hard time looking for a car because there was times where people would have to wait for the other shift to come in and to get a car. So it's just like, yeah, I don't want to be struggling with that. Um, and then, so I start. I I started my patrol training in February of 2020. And then a month into it, that's when COVID started. So, I mean, it just made it a lot easier, the drive. It would take me like 15, it went down to like 15 minutes, the drive to get there, because it was like no traffic. Um, it but was you know, different. 
Yeah, but Claudia, we had a previous guest, Alex Collins, the, you know, the last episode, um, he, he was involved, you know, in that shooting with Christopher Dorner. He was driving about the same distance, 25 miles one way, you know, 50 miles a day. And he was in a freaking gas efficient H2 Hummer. I mean, <laughs> the gas bill was just eating him alive. Now, did you have, I mean. Oh, no, I had a little car. Yeah, well, because the reason I'm saying is that this time, though, you've got a son, right? So you've got a, you've got a husband. Both who need care, <laughs> got to take yeah. care of the husband, right? Yeah. So you got child care, you got all these other things going on. I mean, it's this is kind of. I mean, tell us about during that time how you were juggling things. Like you said, you're getting out of the academy finally. You're getting into training, but COVID's now hitting. Things are all changing, right? How are you juggling all these things with the husband, with the son um, that you don't know how old is? We've established that you have no idea how old your son is at this point. He might be in high school. He might be in college. He might be just starting pre-K. I have no idea. He just I have to feed him, right? You got to take care of him. So how are you juggling all these things? So, I mean, what helped out a lot, like the family support, not just my husband, like he would get out earlier. I mean, usually he, he worked, he drives local. So during that time he would get home, he would try to get home a lot earlier, um, just so he could be with my son. And at that time he was in, he was in kindergarten. So, I mean, he had a little bit of homework, um, but he would be there with him. My parents also have been like a huge, huge help and support throughout this time because they're the ones that ended up taking care of him while I was at work. Uh, so they're the ones, I mean, I would take my son to school and then they would pick him up. Um, my mom would pretty much do everything. Like she would do everything while I was gone at work. And then by the time my husband would get out, like he would just, um, stay with my son and do the rest of the things that he needed to do. Like the homework, uh, shower him. Um, I would leave everything prepared food for them. So, having my parents around, like that was a huge, huge help where I didn't have to like struggle with who's going to babysit, who's going to like, where do I have to take my son with like, I mean, people sometimes that you don't know. So just having them around. Um, and even to this day, I mean, it just made things a lot easier. I mean, hearing from other people, like some of my friends that have kids too, and it's like, it's hard for them. Cause it's like, they don't have the same support. But like I said, luckily I've had the support there from day one, um, and it just made it made patrol training a lot easier, a lot less stressful, uh, and I think that was like a big plus in in me getting through patrol uh, patrol training and not having to deal with all these other issues that that come up from it. Do you have any brothers and sisters in the area? I have a younger sister. Uh, she's married. She has two kids too. Um, she lives like. Uh, 20 minutes away from here. Um, there's times, I mean, so there's times where she would have to, like, I would have to drop off my son with her if my parents couldn't take care of him. Um, but like I said, like, for the most part, it was my parents doing doing almost everything. So you're driving out to San Dimas. Um, COVID starts hitting. So we've got this whole, basically, you know, just don't want to say perfect storm, but a lot of things start happening during this time. So you're working that protests start happening around the United States, you know, and, you know, we don't agree with the protests, but we know that they were going on, right? And there was a lot of defund the police. There was a lot of conflict going on. But what point does that come into your time in San Dimas? Because you get pulled aside at some point to go work, um, to help work the protests and work some of the riots and things that are going on. So how long into your tour of duty at San Dimas do things start changing? So, I mean, the first month that I got there, it was like regular patrol training, um, the whole program and stuff. And then a month into it, that was like mid-March, I believe. That's when we started having the lockdowns. 
So mid-March comes around and everything just changed. Like, I mean, even for the FTOs, it's like, okay, like they didn't want us, like our, our supervisors, they didn't want, um, they don't want, really want us going hands-on. Um, and then with the zero bail where we couldn't like, we would just, it was like a side out for most of the crimes that they were doing. Um, it was a what? What'd you call that? The zero bail, so zero dollars to bail out. No, I mean you called it was a oh. side out. What was that? Oh, a side out. Like if they do something a theft or something, instead of bringing them into jail. Oh, you mean cite like C I T E citation? Yes. See, yes. you got to stop you and the fucking feds. You guys get all of this, you know. I understood everything you're saying, Claudia. Just keep going. He's, he did you know, not. He was a trooper. <laughs> I mean, he's a trooper. You barely you know? woke up. You're barely awake for this episode, Murph. <laughs> um, but you would cite them and release, basically cite and release, right? Yes, out on the street, just cite a ticket, like a speeding ticket, sign in here with the promise to appear in court. Bank robbery, aggravated assault, you know, uh, malicious wounding. We're just going to cite and release you, sir. You got to promise not to do this again, right? You still took them in. You took them in on felonies, right? Uh, certain felonies, even some felonies. It was a side out, believe it or not. Oh my gosh. See, that's what I... Yes. Well, let's, let's put it this way. What was the, what was the threshold then for the felonies? What would keep somebody in jail and uh, allow somebody to be sight, sight out? Like, as you say, sighted out. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I don't remember off the top of my li- the, my head, but there was, we had a list. So, I mean, if it was domestic violence with injuries, for sure, they were going to jail. Um, if it was, uh, a murder, of course, um, like, uh, <laughs> you see, we have to explain that. Hey, well, if you commit murder, you might go to jail. Yes, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, there was like, I can't remember which one there was like several felonies that weren't, um, oh, okay. I think one for, um, the stolen vehicle, if they were, we catch them like driving the stolen vehicle. Uh, that was a side out. Like they would just, they would, uh, sign the ticket and be released for, driving a stolen vehicle. Um, hey, let me ask you a question, though. Would, did that frustrate you? Did that frustrate you and some of your fellow deputies to go, we got, I mean, we got people doing things that a couple months ago, they would have been, you know, getting hooked and booked on. And now you're you're having to release them. Was the was this the excuse, quote, and I'm using my fingers as air quotes, COVID? Or was there something else going on with the zero bail and site and release stuff in addition to COVID? Well, what they told us it was COVID. They didn't want too many people in jail. Um, and then with people losing their jobs, it's like, oh, they don't have money for bail. Uh, and it, I mean, it was frustrating because there was times it's like, okay, we arrest this person, like, let's say for driving a stolen vehicle. I mean, we cite them out. We still have to go through the whole process. Like, we had to tow the car. Uh, we had to do the report. So it's like, it would take us like the entire shift to do all this stuff. And they're already out free stealing another car. Well, they had to steal a car to get home. Cause you took their stolen car get, away from to them. To get back home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, hey, so who, who made that determination? Is that a judge? Is that the sheriff? Is that the governor? That was, that came from the state. It was like throughout the entire state of California that, um, yeah, it was, it was for everyone that they wanted to reduce the, the, the amount of people in jail. And like I said, like, I think up until this day, I think they still have that going on, the zero bail um, or the really, like, really, really low bail. Um, I think they still have that going on. And I bet your crime rate has just plummeted. I mean, there's no crime in L.A. now because everybody's had... Oh, that's what that's what they think. That's what they were going for. But obviously it's not. <laughs> everything's just gone up. I mean, murders, uh, car thefts, everything's gone up. And- well, look what's going on now with the mass uh, rioters and looters going into the stores. And yeah. You guys are getting... 
the yes. stores, the people are just breaking into the stores, mm-hmm. you know, and taking stuff that Murph like would normally take, like some of the fancy, you know, handbags. Know. You the, know? All the fancy, the those Louis fancy Vuitton. retailers. <laughs> yes, and it's like, <laughs> well, you got. I mean, it started happening up north, and now it's like down here too. Well, you got to love it because you know I was watching the news article the other day, and they were showing some of the items being stolen and teeth whiteners, things like that. You know, really important stuff. You want to look good in your it mug doesn't shot, matter. Right? Some of these folks. <laughs> they just go in there. Yeah, you've got to look good for your mugshot. Smile. Oh, you must be using teeth whitener. Where did you get that? Unbelievable. Uh, Target, 34th and Vine. Well, yeah. now there's a new job right there. You can go be a commercial person, you know? Yeah, with all the stuff I've stolen. Look at this. I can start doing product reviews. Here's the stuff I stole from this store. And guess what? The horse, what are you going to do, site and release me? I'll be back on the air in five minutes. Yeah, I'm going to steal a car and go home. Yeah. So, I mean, so, but so that's, that's going on how did that detract away from your uh, exciting duties, obviously, at San Dimas? Because you make it sound like you were at the outpost, like you're in the armpit of L.A., you know, L.A. County. Like, we're out there at San Dimas. We're at the very far end. Yeah. You know, you can it's not the end of the earth, but you can see it from it's here. It's kind of like so. going to Kansas. Holy cow, there's no place after yeah. that. You know? <laughs> or, you know, or Krusty Crotch, West Virginia, where Murph's from. Trust me, they are crusty out there. Um, so how did so, – so, I mean, how did this interfere with what you were doing? And then, you know, start talking to us about, you know, you've got this stuff going on with COVID and then and then the disturbances, the civil disturbances, the riots going on. You know, when does that up? When does all that start kicking in? Uh, that, so, I mean, like during my training, it just made it a lot harder because we couldn't do a lot of stuff. We were like kind of being held back from doing a lot of usual stuff that we do for patrol while we're on training with our FTOs. Um, so it was it was kind of hard because it's like, OK, like I haven't been exposed to a lot of to a lot of stuff and it's like uh, who knows if i'll be able to because like i said with everything else going on it, it was just it just made things a lot harder uh but we still managed a way to find to find things um to get as much for me to get exposed to a lot of stuff um before i could get signed off um so eventually i mean we did what we could um in june that's when they started june that i was still in san Dimas. i was like on, in my king car so my king car, I'm um, by myself already. My FTO isn't in the car. What's a king car mean? Like K-I-N-G, king? K-I-N-G-N-G, yes. <laughs> so um, okay. I'm can't like, wait, count, no. can't spell king. That's an easy one. That's four letters there, Claudia. <laughs> I haven't had my coffee yet. I haven't uh, had my coffee. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so what's a king car? So um, we have phases. We have six phases of training. In phase six, that's, no, phase I believe it's phase five, going phase five to six, that's when we're by ourselves. So the first couple of phases, we're in the car with our FTO, um, and they're pretty much there all the time. Once we go into our king car, we're in the car by ourselves. Uh, our FTO is around, like they'll be around, um, but not on us. Like, And during that time when we're by ourselves, that's when we have to show whether we could do this job or not. Uh, we do everything on our own, um, do traffic stops, respond to the call, um, everything, everything pretty much on our own. And the FTO is just there kind of like watching over us. Um, but they're not telling us exactly like, oh, you had to do this. You had to do that. You had to figure shit out on your own pretty much. Um, and then that's how they see whether we're good to get signed off patrol training and then be on our own. Um for good or if we're not ready for it. So that's pretty much what determines um, if we get signed off or not. So like I said, during, uh, during June, that's when the riots started. And 
we got sent, like, we started going on 12, 12 12s. So we worked 12 hours and we're off 12 hours. And that's how we were for about a week. We were uh, like a week going into um, that we did those 12s. Um, I would go in on EM on, I would start at 6 p.m. and be off at 6 in the morning. That kind of had to, I mean, that kind of threw a lot of things into the air for you, right? Because you still got your son, your husband, you know, family to deal with, you know. So how are you juggling things during that time? I mean, the schedule wasn't that bad because by the time, like I said, I would get off at six in the morning, come home, uh, take my son. No, no, he wasn't in school, but he was he was doing the online school, um, help him log on. And then I would take a nap for for a couple of hours, um, like wake up like around 12. And I was still like I was still in the room. So in case he needed anything, like I would wake up, help him. And then go back to sleep. So it kind of like, it wasn't that bad, like with the schedule. Um, and then get ready to like, by the time I would have to go to work, uh, my husband was usually already home. So it's like, okay, like he, he like we didn't have a hard time dealing with that uh, with our son, like uh, to help him out and get him through school. I mean, it was hard for him with the whole online thing because he was in kinder and the teacher expected him to open up a browser and do all this stuff. I mean, I could barely do it. And they were expecting, (laughs) they were expecting the kids to do all this stuff. So it it was hard for him until eventually he got the hang of it. Um, uh, But like I said, like during that, that week of the riots, like we were getting sent out to, to Van Nuys, to LAPD areas to, to go handle their stuff because they couldn't do it. So we were getting sent out to, to the city areas. Um, I didn't really like the one time I got sent out to Van Nuys, by the time we got there, everything was, everything was over, pretty much over. Um, LAPD, they had got, they had like a group of a hundred people out of Walgreens. Like they had them all, like they were under arrest, but they were waiting for the bus to uh, come and pick them up. But it's just like, I remember the drive there, seeing everything tagged up, uh, broken windows, windows all blocked up and everything i mean how it was on the news and it was just bad it's like well like all this stuff is going on um and then eventually i mean after that week things kind of it wasn't that bad for like for a bit it was like kind of like starting to calm down um after a while and after that that's when i finished my patrol training i got sent out in August. So did you have any other protests that you got sent to after that one? Um, during my time at San Dimas, no, that was the only time during the, it was during the George Floyd, um, pro during that time when I was at San Dimas. But you talked about a couple interactions you had with members of the community. Now, um, this won't come as a shock to you cause you already know this, but you're female and you're a Hispanic. Um, and it's pretty obvious you're Hispanic, right? You're in uniform. Um, uh, you have what sounds, what appears to be a Spanish last name, you know, Mexican last name. But people were ignoring that, right? They were. They, there were some people that were so incensed by the uniform, they looked past the fact is that, dude, did, do you see who is in this uniform? So that happened once I finished my train. Like, I left San Dimas in July, uh, towards the end of July, and I started at TSB in August. Um, that's when I get, I, I get off patrol training and I get sent back to the station where I had signed up. So I get there in August and there, that was the first time I'm like, I've never experienced anything. Like I've never been told anything racist towards me, nothing at all. Um, 
Even in it the academy, right? Your instructors, everybody. I mean, you, as far as they're concerned, you're a deputy, right? That's yes, yes. It's like they don't even see if you're female or male. Like, I mean, we're we're all the same. We all get trained the same way. Um. So yeah, like I get I get to I get to the area. I was at the station, which is in the Willowbrook area, same as the hospital. That's where the the main station's at, and where we have to report to, and that's where we pick up our vehicle, go to briefing, and everything. Um, so this one time I'm getting my car ready and it's parked outside, uh, where the public has access to, to walk by. And this African-American guy comes up to me and he's like, Hey, Hey man, like I have a question. I'm like, yeah, what's up? And I just like, he get, he's like, out of nowhere, he just asked me like, Oh, are you Mexican? I'm like, yeah. Like why? What's up? Like, what do you need? Was, and then he just went off. He's like, oh, fuck you, Mexican bitch. Like, fuck you. And I'm like, all right, dude. Like, I was like laughing inside. I'm like, really, dude? Like, you come up to me and like for a question and then you see what race I am. And it's like, oh, never mind. I don't want to, I don't want to ask you. So he just walked away and just started like telling me a whole bunch of shit. I'm like, whatever, dude. Like, I mean, it was just like, I was surprised because it's like, okay, like this shit's never happened like ever before. And now all of a sudden it's like, I mean, with all the tension going on, how it's like, oh, they don't like, they don't like blacks, they don't like Mexicans and all this stuff. But they're in that area, like during that time too, there was a lot of tension between blacks and Hispanics. Um, and it came- Why is that? Do, do you know the underlying reason why there was that kind of tension there? Was it cultural? Was it business? Was it gang related? You know, was it a factor of things? Do, do you know why that was existing? I think it's like gang part, like gang related and just cultural. Like, I mean- I remember hearing like on the news, like these African-American like teenagers going up to to like Hispanic um, street vendors and robbing them, like throwing their 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 stuff on the floor, uh, going up to there was like this lady, an African-American lady that went up to an elderly Hispanic guy that was walking on the floor and just socked them out of nowhere. And it, it was happening. I mean, it still happens all the time, but it's like, I don't know why, like, especially in that area, like there in South LA, um, where it's mostly, it's mostly uh, Hispanic and black people that live there, but there's always been that tension. I mean, like I grew up in East LA. So here it's like mostly it's Hispanic for the most part, it's mostly Hispanic. So I never saw that here. I never saw any racism, like none of that stuff. But once I get down there where it's both, um, both cultures. And I, like I said, like, I don't know why um, it's been like that from what I've heard. Like it's been like that for a while and they just go at it. And I don't know if it has to do with gang or just cultural, like, but it, it's like that. Um, so you've got, I mean, so there's a lot of tension going on and right. You're going, I, I struggle sometimes to explain why, you know, we, we get to a point in society to where it's like, you were just talking about like the, 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 the old man getting beat up. We hear so many stories of like the guy up in Boston, the 82 year old that was beat up by a gang of kids. You've got Philadelphia. Somebody was filming, you know, recording a, a, a rape, a sexual assault that was occurring on a train and nobody intervened. I mean, it just kind of, I don't even have any words for it anymore to say, have we just become a participation society where the whole goal is to participate in the recording of a, of a heinous crime that's being committed against somebody? You know, what point do people go in and say, look, man, this is my community. Knock it the fuck off. You know, this is let's keep things, you know, sane here. Right. It's it's like it's generational, too. You're having, you know, the the older people are, are accepting this or allowing that to happen. And the younger kids see that. And so it just passes on generation to generation. Yeah, it's it, it's sad. Like, I mean, it's it's sad, like especially like everything, all the like all the hate. It's like, 
I don't know where it comes from, why it's like, who knows, but it's just, it's bad. I mean, um, and it wasn't like I said, like it wasn't, it was totally different when I was in San Dimas to when I went back to that area. When I was there as a security officer, I never had any issues like with racism, none of that stuff. Like it was all, it was all good. Like everyone, like it was good. It wasn't until I went back. I don't know if it was like because of the, what was going on at the time with all these riots and shit. I don't know if that had to deal with it. Um, during that time, like that, uh, towards the end of August, when I was already there, me and my partner, that's when we, we got sent to the, to the, to the riots in South LA. That's what, that time, I mean, we were there in front of the South LA station and it got bad. Like it got really bad. Um, I didn't see anything. Like, I mean, I got left behind, so I couldn't go into the action because I was, I got left behind taking care of the cars, but yeah, it's when um, the rioters showed up with helmets and everything. And so, why'd you get left behind? Because you were the rookie. You know, you're the new person. Or no, it's just where I was, where I had my car lined up. They're like, "Oh, just stay here and take care of the other of the other vehicles." So I'm like, "Oh man, I'm like, I don't get to to do anything. Like, I don't get to to go out there." So that's why I, the the sergeant that was there, he's like, "Oh, just stay behind." So I'm like, "All right, I guess." Um, well, you didn't have any choice. Your sergeant told you to do I that. Had, yeah. I had no choice. A lot of our listeners don't may not quite understand that, that you want to get out there in the action like that in a riot. That's not one of the <laughs> fun things to do in law enforcement. It's it's a horrible thing to be quite honest. Yeah. So I mean, like, yeah, I was I, I got I was there um that day. And like I said, me and my partner, we were getting sent out almost like every shift um to the right. It's like to those to the riots in South LA. You know, so, and I think some of this too is is uh um not to stereotype everybody, but thugs see this as something they can jump on the coattails of and go commit crimes. And they've got cover now because they've got people who may normally not be involved in these type of protests and riots and so forth, but now they are. So they've got some cover to go commit other crimes. And it's, you know, they're shitbirds to start with and they're still being shitbirds. Well, but the other thing too is you've just removed any kind of deterrence when the most of the time it's sight and release. It's like now we're going to let you go, you know. Or even if you do get picked up for a, a serious crime, it's zero bail. It's like now we're we're going to let you go, right? So it does embolden a certain. And look, this cuts across all racial lines. Before anybody starts going, oh, Murphy Morgan, they're racist bastards. You're a traitorous bastard, Murph, because you moved <laughs> to Florida. But he's not a racist bastard. Um, but you know, people say it's racist, but it's like, no, this is everybody was getting released. But it doesn't matter. Locks keep honest people honest. Fences make good neighbors. But when you remove the rule of law, there's a lot of people that accept for the rule of law. They're going, hey, so there's no consequence to doing this. Right. Okay, hey, you, know, you know. And I got to say, yeah, I love it when people uh, accuse me of being racist against Hispanics. I'm like, have you met my daughters? <laughs> They're both Colombian <laughs> by birth. <laughs> Yeah, do you know where I adopted them? You know what I was doing at the time I adopted them? Honey, fucking Pablo Escobar. And then I, I take the time to adopt a couple Colombian girls. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm it, a racist. And it's simply because of the Law Enforcement Association. You know, I mean, I've caught for 38 years and been retired since 13, but we're still, look, we're, we're hanging out with cops. We're doing it virtually right now. But, you know, that's our culture. That's our family. You're our sister. You know, Morgan, we even brought him into the family, even though he was a trooper, you know. And she, she, you know every family's got the that one, right? for others to follow. I will blaze a trail for you guys to – I was a detective, too. Don't forget that, he too, He was man. a detective. Some detective. stuff in the government, man. I, I was in Pakistan. I was in Turkey. I was in the Middle East. You are I was a actually in Colombia. You are a Turkey. Turkey. Well, let's get back to our regularly scheduled podcast, which is actually about you, Claudia. <laughs> so, Claudia, uh, my understanding, too, is that um, uh, you didn't have to go through language school, that you could actually speak passable Spanish. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. 
Good. Yeah, I, lang- Spanish was my first language, and then English didn't come until I started um, kindergarten. So, yeah, I've I've spoken Spanish my entire life. All right. Well, you you do a passable job. We're gonna. You probably didn't have to repeat the academy on that one. So <laughs> no, no, no. That's the only thing. <laughs> well, I'll say your English is a lot better than our Spanish. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, um, but but you got all of these things going on with the riots and the protests and stuff, and you keep saying your partner. So, who was your partner at the time? So my partner. Um, so we're both from the same academy class, 437. Uh, he actually comes out a month before I do to patrol. He trains at Temple Station, same process as me, goes to another station, and then eventually comes out to TSB, which is what he picked also to get out fast. Um, we both get to TSB in August. Uh, that first month that we're... We get there. We I never saw him like because he was on opposite sides of the week, so I never really saw him. Didn't work with him until September. So September, we both end up working together the same car, and neither he didn't put in for it. I didn't put in to work because they give us the option if we want to work a certain car, if we want to work with someone. Like we never put in any request, any special request. And we just find out that we both end up being partners, uh, working 602 Frank. Um, so my partner, Deputy Perez Perez, uh, we he liked his name so much. He gave it to himself twice, twice, twice. <laughs> we call we called him double Perez cause it was a single Perez. So he was double Perez, <laughs> double Perez, double P. Now, double P. Now his first name is Emmanuel. Did you call him Manny? Emmanuel. Manny. Manny yes. Manny. Manny, so, Manny. Manny Two Perez. <laughs> Manny Perez Square. <laughs> we can come up with names for Manny all week long. Okay. Hey, Manny, your brother, man. We're just, we're just having some fun here. <laughs> we're busting chops. So um, we both, like I said, we both get assigned uh, in September to work together. Um, and, I mean, we weren't, he had never been in the area before. He wasn't too familiar with it. So was he, a, was he an L.A. native, L.A. County native? Yes, but he's out like closer to the San Dimas area, like further east where he's from. Um, so that's why it's like, oh, like the first uh, when we first started working that car in September, um, I was I was a driver uh, for every shift until he got like the feel of like where the, the streets were, the major streets and all that. Um so, yeah, I mean, like, everything was going good. Like, I mean, everything was fun. Like, was just remembering things from the academy. That's mostly we would just talk shit all day. Um, hey, when you guys would talk and, to each other, did you speak Spanish or English in the car? Um, both, a little bit of both. A little Spanglish? A little Spanglish. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, he, 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 he's good with the Spanish, too. Um, and, yeah, I mean, like, we got along great. Uh, we were on the same page. It's like, hey, like, well, because... It's like we wanted to eventually, like once we were able to transfer out to a regular station, I wanted to go out back to San Dimas. He wanted to go back out to Temple where he trained. Um, So it's like, let's do some police work. Like they didn't really want us doing much there. It was mostly like um, they just wanted us visible at the train station. So if we did a traffic stop, if we had to go take someone into custody, it would take time away from being visible at the train station. So I'm like, we'll do what we can so we don't forget everything that we learned. Um, hey, so real, that quick was, on, real quick on that, though. Was, were you guys having a problem? Is, is the reason they wanted that visibility, were you guys having a big problem, uh, you know, on, with the trains and stuff? I mean, was there a was there any kind of a crime wave or a crime spree or things that were going on that 
necessitated them telling you, hey, don't go out and do a lot of proactive stuff. We want you maintaining, you know, visibility here with the trains. Well, I had to do, I mean, there's crimes. I mean, things happen all the time on the trains. Um, but also with the contract with Metro, like Metro pays, they're the ones that fund TSB. Uh, so it's like more for visibility. So they can see that we're there more um, to deter crime. So it's like, okay, they see us there. Like people aren't going to be stealing stuff from other people, assaulting other people. So that's what. Well, these are. Is it right? Is it fair to say that these were not affluent communities where you guys were working? Yes. Yeah. It, it wasn't. Not not there where we were assigned to. Um, I mean, it was straight. Like it was in the middle of the hood where we were at. So people are probably uh, afraid to ride the trains because they're they're afraid yes. there might be a crime committed against them. I, I understand that. Yes. It makes sense. No. Yeah. And it's like I mean, and it's kind of hard there because by the time. I mean, someone assaults someone with a deadly weapon in one train state in one of the stops. They get on the train and who knows where they're going to end up. So it's like by the time we get to the victim to get information, the suspect's long gone. And it's like, how do we trace them? Like, it's hard. It's hard to actually catch the suspects there because they just hop on and take off. So you can understand why they want you that high visibility there. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why it's like, it made it kind of hard, but at the same time, like, we're like, okay, like we'll, we'll do what we can to, to stay, to be proactive and actually not forget what we learned. Um, so that was what we were planning for. It's like, oh, get a little bit of action, but not like too much. So we don't get in trouble or anything. Um, so yeah, I mean like that, that was our plan. And like I said, like that first week that we were partnered up, like we were going to the riots every single day. So we didn't really have that much time at the three stations that we were assigned to, um, which were Compton Pat, Compton train station, Artesia and Delamo. So we were assigned of the, uh, at those three, uh, train stations for our car. What's the difference between these stations? Are they just, are they, they're not a long distance. They're. Uh, no, they're not. They're not. It's not a long distance. It's just like from one stop to the next, to the next. Um, and it's just like in a different, a different city. Um, but it's just like the, the furthest one, I believe, was Delamo. And then the, after that one, it was a Artesia. And then after that, it was a Compton one. And then it just went further north. Uh, and other cars were assigned to the other other um, train stops. Were you and Manny the only two assigned to work those three stations? Yes. Yes. We were the only ones. Um, we had, like I said, we had other cars, like our sister car that was assigned to the next three after our stations, they, they were in charge of the next three. So if we needed them, they would respond to our calls or vice versa. If they needed something, we would go to their calls and just back them up. Um, but for the most part, it was just us two doing uh, those three uh, train stations. Now, what kind of calls for service would you end up responding to? I mean, obviously things related to the the, the train or, you know, TSB. What, what was what was the meat and potatoes? What was the the normal kind of call that you guys would be asked to respond to? Uh, I mean, we would get mostly it was trespassing calls, um, people jumping onto the train tracks, walking through the train tracks. It was those type of calls, uh, assault with a deadly weapon, um, robbery. A lot of people would like they'd be on the phones or they'd get their purses snatched. Um, it was mostly that. Uh, vandalism too. Vandalism, they would go and destroy the the little kiosks that they have at the train, uh, the platforms, um, that's pretty much it. I mean, what they get there or a lot of the 5150s too. Uh, but that was mostly on the buses that they would refuse to, to get out of the bus. Um, or 
just suspicious people, suspicious person on the platform. Um, pretty much, I mean, domestic violence too. I mean, you pretty much get everything there. So prior to September 12th, which is what we're going to leading towards here, what was the, what was the hairiest call you guys handled together um, in your TSB duties? I don't think we handled anything. I mean, I, I can't remember handling anything like anything that pops. Like, I don't think anything. I mean, cause like I said, like we were, we were hardly ever there. Um, and I like the, 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 I think the call that we actually did find someone, it was like a suspicious person, um, like flash 5150 that was walking around, um, in the, in the platform. But other than that, it wasn't like, we didn't get anything that kind of stands out. What do you, what did you mean by flash 5150? Well, like it was a, a suspicious person, but they were, once we contacted them, they weren't all there. So the per, the guy that we contacted, like he wasn't, he wasn't all there. He was a little crazy. So, um, just offered him services. Like we have a med team, uh, uh, the met, uh, mental evaluation team, um, Usually when it's like that, we'll call them out uh, so they could respond because they're, they're trained. They, they, they ride with the, a clinical psych, psychologist or one of them. Yeah, they ride with them and then they respond and they offer them services or whether they put them on a hold. Uh, but by that time, it's like, oh, the guy took off. Um, so, I mean, we can't, there wasn't any crime. So it's like, well, okay, like you don't want help. Like just let him go. Sorry to track. Yes, it's. Yeah, until they do something, it's hard to get somebody help because uh, unless they're a danger to themselves or others, you guys are kind of out of options. I mean, unless they commit themselves, there's not much you can do, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, he was he was fine. Like I said, like he didn't meet the criteria for us to put him on a hold. So it's like he didn't want the help. So it's like just pretty much let him go. I mean, there's so much we can do. And so let's start working towards September 12th. Um, because that's obviously a day that changed your life, changed, you know, uh, Manny Double T's life. But um, as you guys are walking, that's the reason we spent a lot of time kind of setting context, because while there's stuff going on, there doesn't seem to be a lot of stuff to where you guys are at. But there's still, I mean, you still got got to respond. You've got to do your, uh, you know, your normal duties. You've got your routines. So let's talk about uh, September 12th, uh, uh, 2020, right? 2020. Mm -hmm. Yes. What kind of a day was that? You know, tell us about how'd your day start out? You know, what, what was a, you know, you know, just walk us kind of through the beginning of the day. Okay. So I started that day. I had picked up overtime, like probably like a week or two weeks before I had overtime for the day shift. Our regular shift was on PM shift from two to 10 PM. Uh, so I started my shift at 6, 6 AM. Uh, the day shift, I was by myself. I was a bus car. I was assigned to the Santa Monica, El Segundo area. So I was like by the beach. I was on the west side. Um, just like any other day, I mean, did my did my stops, contacted bus drivers. No, uh, wait a minute. I thought, I thought you guys at LA made bank. I thought you guys made a ton of money. Are you telling me you have to work overtime to pay your bills to make ends meet? What? <laughs> what? I'm shocked. Shocked. <laughs> He's from Kansas. What I mean, what does he expect, you know? <laughs> no, I mean, like, I didn't really like working the overtime, but I had to, so I wouldn't get drafted. So I would pick up a couple of spots, so I would have some overtime and not be drafted. It's like, oh, like, if they didn't have someone, then they would get, like, it's like, oh, you don't have any overtime. Like, you're you're staying over. 
for the next shift. So that's why I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll pick up a few spots. So I'm off that list. Smart. Um, that's and a it smart worked. move. <laughs> well, it sounds like then that's the reason you were hiring these people all the time. Now, COVID sounds like it drastically impacted your ability to run academies too, right? Yes. So that's when they started cutting back with the academy classes. And a lot of people too, there were, I mean, with the COVID, like there was sometimes like between 10, 15 people from the station that were out on COVID. So it, it just made it hard. And it's like a lot of people. You had um, a staffing problem. You had, I mean, you, you were down people. So that's the reason you had to pick up either you put in for overtime or somebody was going to draft you to fill yes. overtime. Yeah. So that's why it's like, I'd rather pick my days that I want to work than them pick for me. And you get to pick the location also, right? Um, If it's available, if that spot's available, I would put like, oh, I would put the units I would want to work um, work in, and then they would, if it's if it was available, then I would get it. Yeah, Santa Monica's not but bad. But it just made it a little bit it's easier. It's not a bad area at all. No. <laughs> the beach, you know, work on your tan, you know, get, get you know, get hang, a, out, hang out on the pier. Get a little sunshine in. <laughs> yeah. No, that day I had my Chick-fil-A. I was eating my Chick-fil-A by the beach. So it was, it was a pretty good day. Not bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, like I said, like, it just started, like, any other shift. Um, so, basically, your OT shift went off. I mean, there was nothing, just regular shift, right? Regular shift. Um, and then a little bit before, too, I, I started heading back to back to the station to go pump gas and then to go pick up my partner. Um, are you staying in the same car or do you have to switch out vehicles? No, same car. I was keeping the same car. Uh, it depends, like, if the, the, if the other person, usually we have assigned cars, too. Um, but if it's taken, then I just, I just kept my car, the car I had, cause I had all my stuff in there and everything. Hey everyone, that's the end of part one. Part two is coming out this Thursday, and trust me, this is going to be a very powerful story. What Claudia did, what she did to save her partner, how she responded with her training, her dedication, and her persistence. Let me tell you, this is the stuff of legend. So make sure you check us out, GameOfCrimesPodcast.com, our website. Make sure you check us out on the socials, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And make sure you visit us at Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. All right, everybody, let's stay tuned for part two.